Hey everyone, I hope you're having a great week so far. I'm Tony Chen, and this is Fish and Bits, a business and data podcast on the world of seafood. Today, we're going to dive back into the topic of AI, generative models, and data. Specifically, we're going to look into the category of feeding models and how new data techniques can be used to update old, antiquated models. Last week, OpenAI just released Sora, their brand new text-to-video model. If you haven't seen the videos of what it can do, I would encourage you to take a look. The ability to generate high-quality video using generative models is nothing short of amazing. It represents another huge launch for the company and shows again where these models are headed in the years to come. But the impact is not just on what's possible in the world of words, images, and video. The techniques and tools that are getting built are going to have an impact across so many different sectors, including aquaculture. One particular example I see is going to be the development of new biological growth models. In this episode, I'm going to walk you through the history of growth models and explain what are the differences between popular models like the VF3, SGR, TGC, and EGI. Then, I'll talk about the unique technical breakthroughs that the Sora model has achieved by the team at OpenAI. With these two topics, I'll then conclude on how new AI models could be developed to help the aquaculture industry improve their models and lead to better decisions with data intelligence. I think you're really going to enjoy this episode, so let's dive in. To start, let's talk about growth models. These models are an extremely important part of any fish farmer's operations, no matter the species. It's critical to know if fish are eating correctly, growing according to plan, and that enables businesses to plan for the future. They can help to forecast out how much farmer or feed will need to purchase, or when fish will be ready to be sold to the market. All salmon farmers that I've spoken to utilize these models as a key metric that they monitor periodically, but I've come to learn that there really isn't a standard. Some farmers look at TGC, others AGD, and others use the EGI. There's an entire list of three-letter acronyms that have been developed over the years to model how salmon will grow. When you break it down, however, it makes a lot of sense how they came to be and why there are so many. I'm going to walk you through the math behind four of the most popular models and the timeline behind that research. So let's start at the very, very beginning with the AGD, which stands for Average Daily Gain. This model wasn't published in a paper because it's about as simple as it gets. It's just the estimated average weight gain per day for the fish. If the fish gained 100 grams in 10 days, then the AGD would be 10 grams per day. It's very simple, but starting point for any farmer. It would tell you that 100 days into production, your fish should be, for example, 2 kilos. The downside is that this model assumes fish growth occurs in a linear pattern, which is obviously not the case. And that's how we got to the second model, or SGR, or which stands for Specific Growth Rate, which was developed by a paper in 1979. The improvement here was to provide a logarithmic transform to the growth rate of salmon. It was observed that while salmon grow quickly in the early stages of life, that eventually would taper off after a certain size. And you couldn't assume, for example, that the 15 grams per day that happened the last couple months would continue. Adding a log function into this equation got us a more predictable weight for the animals based on the number of days it was in production, and particularly when the fish are younger. But again, the industry found that 
this model wasn't always correct. Farmers in the industry pointed out that just how many days the fish had been in the water wasn't the only variable that mattered, but other variables would influence how quickly the fish grew. It almost makes too much sense looking back, but you have to keep in mind that this was over 40 years ago and computers barely even existed. The next improvement came two years later in 1981 with the development of the TGC or thermal growth coefficient, which brought together temperature days to account for the fact that water temperature would have an impact on the metabolism of the fish and its ability to grow. It's also referred to as the VF3 or GR3 across the industry. From a mathematical point of view, what it did was build upon the SGR and uses the same log transform to represent the growth pattern of the fish, but instead of days, it measures degree days that the animal exposed to. Now, the growth model could account for large changes in temperature as well as patterns of adding on weight, but one of the challenges was that it was just an adjustment on the log curve. It assumed that fish grew quickly at first and that leveled off. Obviously, that's not what happens out on the farms. But we had to wait another 20 years before a new model was developed to address more of these factors. That model is the EGI, or EWAS Growth Index, which was published in 2001. It's a multivariable differential equation that uses a combination of temperature, length of the day, and weight of the fish over time to predict growth. This model had two major changes to everything that came before it. The first was integrating the amount of daylight into the equation, which has an impact on the appetite of the fish. The second major change was the use of a differential equation, which put simply makes it possible to model the growth pattern with ebbs and flows throughout the fish's life cycle. The SGR and TGC are both based on log transforms, which means that the model addresses the growth of the fish earlier by turning it into a curve, but as the production progressed, that curve becomes a straight line. The EGI addresses this challenge by understanding periods like the end of production when farmers are quickly adding on weight to their fish to prepare for harvest, and it was the first model to take this approach. But here we are today, 23 years past the launch of the EGI, and you may be surprised to hear that there hasn't been a new model that's been launched. I'm sure that you can guess there's a lot more factors that can impact growth patterns than temperature, sunlight, and fish weight. Genetics, disease, sea lice treatments, there's so many variables that can impact whether fish will grow. What you may be even more surprised to learn is that the TGC is still widely used today, even 40 years later. Even though studies have shown that the EGI is more accurate, many farmers in the industry still look at the thermal growth coefficient as the benchmark. And the reason for it actually makes a lot of sense to me. Instead of using these models as truth, they are used as baselines for monitoring a production. If your fish are growing faster than what the TGC says, then you as a farmer are doing a good job. Over time, farmers have learned when in the production you will be below the model, such as unhealthy fish earlier in a generation, or when you will be above it, such as when you are adding on weight at the end of a production. It gives you a starting point to measure, and that's powerful. It's similar to when I used to go to the doctor as a kid. When I was younger, my doctor told me I was growing fast enough to be tall enough to be a professional athlete based on the growth charts. My mom, however, would always tell me after these appointments that you have to keep in mind that your parents are Asian and you don't have the genetics to reach that height. I understood, but I'll tell you that a small part of me is still waiting for my growth spurt to happen. All joking aside, I have found it interesting that 
human growth charts that were developed in the 1970s honestly haven't changed much either to account for factors such as genetics or nutrition, just like for salmon. But unlike my personal growth, the predictability of growth for farmers can have a huge impact on their business. More predictable growth patterns can easily streamline future supply chains, long-term contracts, and improve public investor confidence. So far, no model has been able to accurately account for all the factors necessary to make extremely accurate predictions. But that may be changing with the breakthroughs that we're seeing in the machine learning space from companies like OpenAI. It doesn't matter which platform I point out, ChatGPT, Dolly, or Sora, these models have without a doubt changed the world's view of what computers can do. I understand that people are worried about how the technology will replace jobs or create deep fakes. I'm personally a little less cynical about the future and more excited about how the technology will lead to new innovations that we've never seen before. I did a breakdown on the history of AI, what is unique about generative models, and what it means for aquaculture in the future in a previous episode last year. If you want to learn more about that in depth, I would highly encourage you to take a look at that episode. For now, I'm going to focus my intention towards Sora, the newly released text-to-video generator. Again, if you haven't seen the samples, please take a second and go check them out. The results are breathtaking, and I'm going to break down the technical achievements and talk about how they could be applied to a topic like fish growth models. At a base level, the model is an extension of the company's last two products. ChatGPT is able to predict what text it should say next continuously, and then Dali is able to turn that into visual representations of that text. The next piece is to stitch it all together over time and create video. The system now knows how to guess at the next frame in a series to create video in an extremely realistic manner. In its simplest form, that's what's going on. And with enough training data, you can continue to create more and more realistic video. But what may seem to be the most amazing part of the video is its understanding of physics. The waves crashing, the people moving, and the reflections are all more lifelike than anything we have ever seen generated in video by a computer. The key, however, when I looked into the research paper that OpenAI released, is that nowhere in the research did engineers teach the system anything about physics. You couldn't find a place where they told a computer that gravity falls at 9.8 meters per second. But watching the water in the videos, you can't tell me it doesn't look like the system has an understanding of fluid dynamics. I won't bore you with the details, but the key difference is how researchers have been able to scale video data in a way that makes it trainable. They have found an efficient way to break down video into small enough data packets that they call patches that represent still images over time. In Sora, these patches are equivalent to what words are in ChatGPT, and the system just continuously generates the next patch. This is why there are limitations to the system. The video of glass breaking doesn't make any sense, or if you look closely enough at the videos, you can find parts that immediately reveal that it's an AI-generated video. At the end of the day, the system is not developing rules based on the physical world, so sometimes it will predict a patch that seems feasible, but we as humans can quickly recognize that to be wrong. So how does this apply to aquaculture and all those growth models that I mentioned earlier? Well. The point I've been building to is that in order to make large-scale improvements in the science of aquaculture, we may need to be looking at how to develop insights differently if we want to apply these modern techniques. 
The example and history of growth models in Salmon have been developed in subsequent steps, adding in more and more variables each iteration with more compute power. For video, video game engines are the equivalent thing to look at. They are physics engines that have rules built into it about how objects should interact with each other. Over the years, I'm sure you've seen the improvement of graphics quality in games, but the realism of Sora is a completely different step forward, and it took a completely different approach to make it happen. We threw out everything that we knew about how to build physical models and tried something different. It's yet to be seen how these generative models will be used in mediums other than text, images, and video, but I can assure you that we will be finding new discoveries in drug discovery and climate predictability. The same can be said for aquaculture, for disease, mortality, and who knows, maybe even those pesky sea lice. And that's all for today, folks. I hope you've enjoyed learning something new about AI and aquaculture. If you did, I'd really appreciate it if you would rate our podcast. It helps us a ton to be able to keep producing content like this. Have a great week, and we'll talk again soon.